Food for Thought on News Talk 760 WJR is presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state. Here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Winston Churchill, the burly prime minister that refused to give up on England in the face of Nazi Germany's seemingly unstoppable assault in the midst of World War II, was quite the leader and the linguist. He served as a soldier from Cuba to India to Africa. He was an accomplished author who also served as Minister of Parliament twice before becoming the adamant leader who stood against a tyrannical sociopath in Adolf Hitler and saved freedom from the threat of extinction. Astonishingly, Mr. Churchill, short of stature but a giant among leaders, was equal to the task facing down evil and standing strong in the face of criticism and overwhelming odds. Reading Sir Winston Churchill has been a passion of mine for some years now. I draw great strength and inspiration from his words, especially when facing a seemingly impossible task. So today, I share with you seven quotes from Mr. Churchill to inspire us as we seek to create food security our impossible task. Let's define the problem of food insecurity according to Mr. Churchill. Food insecurity is a riddle wrapped in a mystery trapped inside an enigma. Granted, food security is a part of the multi-layered problem we call poverty that has its reach into every aspect or a part of our culture and society and is very complex. Regardless of how complex, Mr. Churchill would look at us who in fighting this stubborn problem would say, the first quality needed to fight hunger is audacity. We think we can win. We are audacious. But we are more than audacious. We are professionals who are committed to learning and if necessary, failing because success consists of going from one failure to the next without any loss of enthusiasm. We tried, we succeed, we learn, we fail, we learn more, but we are committed to excellence. It is no use saying that we are doing our best. You've got to succeed in doing what is necessary. We are doing what is necessary and our seven regional food banks are doing it with excellence. Mr. Churchill had his detractors those who thought surrender and accept was the best course of action, and they hounded him to do so. Mr. Churchill discovered a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, and the optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. We are surrounding ourselves with positive, solution-oriented people from all across this state that are saying with us, enough is enough. I am tired of being intimidated by this bully we call hunger. These people are coming to us, writing to us, volunteering with us because they've discovered that we each make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. When the war turned and victory was visible and the enemy was beaten, Mr. Churchill realized and said, sure I am of this, that you only have to endure to conquer. Sir, we will conquer because we have the fortitude to endure. 
May time prove that those of us who take up arms against this tyrant called hunger, we too are equal to the task as Mr. Churchill was. Thank you for joining us on Food for Thought. Come back and be with Jerry Brisson and I. We'll be right here. Welcome back to Food for Thought. Once again, here's your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson is here with me. Jerry, I'm pretty excited about the guest today, Donna Murray Brown, who's going to be with us, the CEO for the Michigan Nonprofit Association. And I know that you know Donna personally as well as professionally. Yeah, and a long time before she was at the Nonprofit Association and she was working for the bank, um, I got to know Donna pretty well and we worked closely with them to accomplish some pretty big things here in Southeast Michigan. So I have a lot of respect for her and I know she represents uh, the huge sector that we're a part of, right? Those folks that are in this work, not for profit, but for impact and mission, right? Absolutely. Well, yeah, Donna leads that entire organization now, the Michigan Nonprofit Association, but she has, as you described, a a rich history in the corporate world and a lot of success there. Um, But, you know, uh, we won't say that she came over, you know, left the dark side to come over here because we're all working in this together. And, uh, you know, and she has quite the story that I'm really interested in our audience hearing it's, I think it's going to be a powerful, and in fact, I think it'll be a bit surprising. Yeah, and I also think, you know, when we talk about the light side, you know, the best way to solve hunger is a good job, right? So so we'll throw that out there as a little tease, and, uh, and I know that, that the issue of employment and food security is going to come up, uh, and I think we've got some great things to come here. Yeah. All right. Well, folks, stay tuned here to Food for Thought on WJR. Jerry Brisson and I will be back with Donna Murray Brown from the Michigan Nonprofit Association. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight on WJR. Get in touch with the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Visit fbcmich.org. Once again, here's Dr. Phil Knight. We appreciate uh, your uh, text, uh, tweets, uh, likes on Facebook. We're very, we're very fortunate to be in partnership with WJR, and uh, we want to give you some food for thought about food insecurity and also some of the larger issues that are impacting our ability to solve this problem across the state. To help us understand what some of those issues are is Donna Murray Brown, who is the CEO and president of the Michigan Nonprofit Association. So, Donna, welcome to Food for Thought. Thank you. Happy to be here. Great. It's good to have you. Now, uh, let's let's help our listeners uh, get to know Donna a little bit. Um, and uh, and you uh, have not been in the nonprofit world really very long. 
You're absolutely right. It has only been just seven uh, seven years. I most of my career was really spent in banking for 22 years. Wow! So it was uh, working in community, though. I'm working as a uh, vice president of community development and got a chance to really uh, see the great work of nonprofit organizations, but not until I began to run one. Uh, And uh, Michigan Nonprofit Association in particular, did I get a chance to see firsthand the great work that nonprofit organizations do in our communities. So, Donna, you grew up here in southeast Michigan. And um, and as you said, you 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 ended up in corporate banking and and uh, and a career there. So tell us a little bit about how that journey uh, went for you and and how you ended up there. So. Firstly, I feel incredibly blessed um, to have the journey. I think there's lots of lessons in the journey, but what most people don't know about my journey is one that I was uh, one of the first in my family to graduate from uh, from college, okay. and that represented a lot of opportunities. I think um, to reach uh, the dreams that my parents had for me, which mm-hmm. I was incredibly proud to be able to do. That we came from really humble beginnings. I'm um, one of four children, and my mom is uh, was at that time a licensed practical nurse. And my dad was a bus driver, and neither one of them had gone to college, um, but they were great, hardworking individuals. And uh, we had lots of um, love in our family, uh, but one of the things that we didn't have plenty of was money. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of the uh, my journey was um, really uh, going through lots of programs now that I actually support as a president and CEO of Michigan Nonprofit Association. There were programs and services that my family took advantage of. One of those um, in particular was at Focus Hope. Uh-huh. Um, we got lots of our food from Focus Hope. Um, and at that time, it was a little different. It was, um, we were very grateful to have that ability to to get food. But when I think about the programs um, now and having choice and um, creating an environment where it looks like a supermarket and you can kind of choose what you want, it wasn't that option back right. then. Um, and there was quite a bit of a stigma um, then to be able to uh, to get food um, right. from food programs. And unfortunately, at that time, I can remember um, the food pro- the food from the food programs was clearly identified with stripes on the cans and red letters or black and white. And right. if you had people over, you know, friends over and they looked in your cupboards, which I tried to always prevent anyone from looking at our cupboards right. because I didn't want anyone to know that we were actually getting um, food assistance. So, Donna... Um on a, on a more recent show, we had Cindy Estrada, who is a vice president with the UAW, and um, we talked about the link that used to be between full-time employment and food security. But we talked about how that link has eroded. You could be working not just one job in this day and age, but two but here you're talking about a mom and a dad who were doing all that they could and and being very successful at what they were doing, LPN and as a driver. Mm-hmm. And yet with four children, it wasn't quite enough. You still ended up with a little more month than you did money. Absolutely. it's. Uh, I think it's something that uh, we often forget that you can be one circumstance, one situation away from stability. Right. And I know in our family, you're right, it wasn't um, enough income to really take care of all the expenses of having four children, let alone trying to plan for their college and things like that. Sure. But my mom uh, had an automobile accident. She wasn't able to go to work for a period of time. And there was not that wow. income. And so it was just that one circumstance, one instance that really put us in a situation where we had to depend on, on a great program like at Focus Hope in particular. So I have to thank you for sharing that story because um, 
I think that there is still a battle for folks who are working to help themselves. They do still feel a little bit of that stigma. And, you know, we've gotten a little better. We've evolved a little bit better in the food banking world where we're not striping the cans anymore and we're trying to make it an uplifting experience. So trying to treat everyone with dignity. Um, you know, but that, as you said, has not always been the case, although it wasn't anyone's intention. It was just giving it as what you had to give at that and back in that age and age. But with the, the time now, we have such an emphasis on fresh food. And, and uh, so we hope a lot of that is going. But I think the more that folks like yourself and me and others that have grown up and faced hardships in life and understand that, you know, a lot of the folks that we're serving, uh, we say they might be one flat tire away from bankruptcy. And, but they're doing what they can do. And it's a responsibility, I think, a question more about who do we want to be as a culture? Who do we want to be as a society? I want to be a part of the society that comes alongside of people and uh, gives them a hand up. And, and so I think that exactly what your, uh, was it, your experience was. So thank you for sharing that with us. So it's kind of ironic, isn't it, to, to uh, have that experience growing up and then end up in corporate banking where you're, you're, you, you're observing the work of so many great nonprofits and now to end up as the CEO over the Michigan Nonprofit Association. That's quite a journey, Donna. It is. And it's, um, it's something that I don't take lightly. It's something that drives me to think about my past and others, friends of mine, and um, others that went through a lot um, to, to get to where they are now today. But they've had a journey that has been wrought with um, many um, shortcomings as it relates to job security and food insecurity as well. Right. So when I think about uh, the work that we do at Michigan Nonprofit Association, just really keeping an eye on what's happening for the entire sector. Right now, this particular time, uh, it is about what's happening with community programs right now that are addressing uh, mm-hmm. food insecurity and um, workforce development and all the things that create stability in a family. So um, that's something that has been um, really on uh, on my mind as a leader of Michigan Nonprofit Association and trying to create that support in um, in a world right now that there's some uncertainty around funding for these important programs in our communities. Right. We want to continue to talk about that. Um, and, and, and if you will, I want you to hang over for the next segment so that we can continue to have this conversation at a deeper level. I don't want you to be rushed by this because it's too important. It's going to impact too much of our work and other works that we're very dependent on across the state as well. So Donna Murray Brown, she is the CEO and president for the Michigan Nonprofit Association, uh, came out of a, uh, a background of corporate uh, banking and uh, I would say corporate giving as well. I want to talk to you about that as, as well. Uh, Folks, come back and be with us here. Uh, Donna Murray Brown, Dr. Phil Knight, you're listening to Food for Thought. You're listening to Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight. I have in the studio with me here at WJR, Donna Murray Brown, who is the president and CEO for the Michigan Nonprofit Association. Donna, it's just a privilege to have you here to hear your perspective on uh, the issues that are facing our uh, the sector, 
the nonprofit sector now with the new administration. So I'm going to hold that because that's really why I wanted you to come. But now that I've got you here and you're in the seat in front of the microphone, let me uh, share with you briefly the concept about the ERN and our listeners know about it from when Dwayne Berger was on the show with us here just a few weeks ago. And um, this employee resource network and how employers are putting in their investing into the lives of their employees, their greatest asset, to ensure that they have success and thereby more effectiveness and hopefully greater productivity. So it's a win-win-win scenario. But basically they're giving them what they need so that they remove the obstacles from people uh, missing work, like transportation or childcare or um, whatever that might be. And so that concept of an employee resource network is kind of innovative, isn't it? I think it's very innovative. I I can think about when I started my career in banking uh, some many years ago, uh, some of the challenges I had was transportation. My Mm. car didn't uh, start up in the morning, especially in a cold Michigan winter. Right, right. (laughs) It was was really uh, interesting as to whether or not it would start up. Uh, It would have been great to have that kind of uh, support. So I think the notion of employers really taking an interest in, as you described, as their number one asset, mm-hmm. are their people. It does require some insightfulness. It, d- it does require some some uh, empathy and some ability to, to dig deeper in understanding those that, um, that support their, their missions and, and, their, and their work. So I, I think as a person that was in banking and recognizing that we had so much of our workforce that were tellers that weren't necessarily um, making uh, quite a large salary, that it would have been very interesting for us to be able to see what were some of the mitigating factors to them being able to not only get to work, but actually able to thrive. Were they thinking about what was happening with their children um, while they were at work um, and uh, how, who was taking care of um, their young or uh, young children or uh, if their car was, um, was not working or something of that nature. And it seems so simple. Those, those, um, small things that make such a big difference right. um, in those that actually um, come to work for us every day and, and for other um, employers. I like to see something like that in partnership of other corporations who are doing that in partnership with nonprofit organizations who have always had some great insight into what the community's needs are. It would be great to see if there was a way for a nonprofit organization to, to augment um, mm-hmm. what a corporation wanted to do as it relates to that employee resource network. What might there be a way of of uh, of leveraging some of those resources and jewels that are already in the community and matching them up with the needs that employers have discovered about their own um, employees? And one of the great places I think to have that conversation is under the umbrella of the Michigan Nonprofit Association. I mean, you guys definitely have the thirty thousand foot view to see Mm -hmm. so much of the great work that's Mm -hmm. going on, understanding the needs which are impacting the workforce on our companies and corporations across the state. So that's why we do Food for Thought, to have these conversations that lead to innovative ideas. So I'm sure you and I are going to talk more about this when, uh, when Mark shuts down the microphones here. But um, we're in a transition period here. Um, I think the country uh, was a little shocked to have uh, President Trump win the election and 
we I think a lot of the country was thinking it was going to go one way and it didn't go that way it went another way and now the reality has set in and do we have an idea about what policies are out there that are going to impact both uh, the ability of individuals and companies and corporations to support the great work that is going on in the nonprofit sector? Sure. You know, the the thing is, is that we just don't know. You're right. It was it was um, a bit of a shock because we thought that um, we knew what the outcome was going to be. But now that we don't and and it's um, a bit in some cases uncertain, um, there is a sense, I think, um, uh, something good that's come out of this uncertainty is the, the notion of especially nonprofit organizations galvanizing mm-hmm. now around what and who they can be for those that they serve. So one thing we do know, and I think that uh, President Trump is going to um, make good on his word and uh, that he mentioned in, in the campaign is um, this notion around spending and increasing our military. And that is, is great and something that I think we all can um, can rally around. The The challenges for nonprofits, though, is that there's going to be more spending here and we want to reduce the, um, the national deficit there. We're going to need to take money from somewhere. And we're thinking that it, the possibility might be from domestic programs like the ones that are food programs programs, workforce development programs, and those that really support the basic needs of our community. Right. So nonprofit organizations are really wanting to understand but stay in close contact with um, President Trump and his transition uh, team, and those are the agencies uh, that, that run the agencies that support domestic spending, that we really give a perspective and point of view of what really is happening in communities and the needs for many of these programs to remain stable. Uh, one of the things is you, you talk about um, workforce development. person needs and wants a job. They want to have a meaningful um, work that they do. They also want to be able to take care of their families. Right. One of those basic things is food. Sure. Um, and so when we think about uh, reducing the spending, those are things, those basic things, we really want to make sure that those, stay, stay, those things stay intact. And what we're finding is that nonprofits are, um, I think, more so, not for the first time, but more deeply now, are going to the people that they serve and asking deeper questions questions and right. trying to discern how uh, what is your current status and what do you foresee for the future and how can we help you get to your goals and, and meet those um, far-reaching goals but also those immediate things sure. that you're dealing with every single day right how do we help take that that stress we we talk about taking hunger off the table so that toxic stress mm-hmm. leaves their lives Absolutely. and their minds are free to think then about uh, job uh, better jobs and job training and education and health care and all those other things that their mind's not free to talk about. So, Donna, uh, your sphere of influence has widened here, uh, and particularly in regard to how we're keeping the pulse on this charitable contributions, and, and you're serving on a national board. Tell us about that. Sure. So I serve on the National Council of Nonprofit Organizations, and you can think of it as a uh, membership organization of more than 30 state uh, nonprofit associations, so they represent a large group, tens mm. of thousands of nonprofit organizations across our country. Right. So one of the things that we're trying to really keep intact is a charitable giving incentive. As we think about and intens- anticipate tax reform, we know that here in Michigan we lost a charitable incentive, um, which really was uh, one of the main streams of revenue for food programs and other great things that happen in community. We lost that in a few years back in 2011. Right. Now there may be that same situation at the federal level. So 
So at the National Council of Nonprofits, we are working together with nonprofits across the country to say how imperative it is to keep that in place because those are revenue streams from individuals who understand their communities and care about their communities and want to invest in their communities. So the net effect is what I'm hearing since we have a little history with this in Michigan from 2011 is you know, whatever the spending priorities are at the federal level, um, and that the net effect with with less spending and the charitable tax opportunity going away mm-hmm. means more people in need that will become more dependent on the nonprofit sector to meet that need because there's less spending. Right. But you, we're taking away the charitable tax incentive so it's it's kind of like uh getting hit twice, right? Absolutely. It's like getting hit twice. And and that's the obvious thing. One of the things that's maybe less obvious is that it also is stifling the ability to mobilize the caring power of individuals who want to connect to their community. Wow. And that's something that I think sometimes get lost. It gets lost in translation. So it's about connecting people and keeping communities whole and strong. Well, we know that in the the Food Bank uh, Council of Michigan world, we have about 150 Michiganders who annually volunteer in our seven food banks across the state to help us solve and create food security. So Donna, how do we, uh, how do people find out more about the work of MNA? Sure. One thing you can do is visit our website at www.mnaonline.org. She's Donna Murray Brown. Uh, she is the CEO and president of the Michigan Nonprofit Association. Donna, thanks for being with us. And uh, you promised to come back and keep tabs on this charitable tax incentive and other things that are affecting our communities. It's great to have you. Thanks very much. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. You're listening to Food for Thought on WJR. It's Food for Thought with Dr. Phil Knight, presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, CEO and president of Gleaners, is here in the studio, and we are discussing food security across the entire state of Michigan. I'm your host, Dr. Phil Knight. Jerry, what are some of the takeaways you get from our listening to Donna Murray Brown and particularly her story? Yeah, I mean, it is so apparent that you never know where you're going to find food insecurity. It's in places that are surprising and from people that you wouldn't think about being food insecure. A a household with two working parents and one little thing can go wrong and food security happens or food insecurity happens, right? Right, right. So I think that's a takeaway and and a pretty important one uh, because it keeps us all on our toes, right? Yeah. I think the second thing that I that I take away is, you know, the nonprofit sector is important. It has a huge impact. It's big and, and, uh, and there's a lot of things wrapped into it. I just thought about, you know, we've got seven food banks mm-hmm. and those seven food banks are working with 2,900 churches, schools, pantries, community agencies in order to do our food distribution. And on top of that, we have other programs like Cooking Matters, which is right. another 10,000 graduates. And, wow. You know, I didn't know it was that many. Yeah, it is it is amazing. And it's statewide, right? And, yeah. and that involves Michigan State University Extension and United mm-hmm. Ways and, you know, even more of the sector. Right. So, and then I add to that, that every major religion in the world says you've got to feed your hungry neighbors. Right. Every single one, without exception, right? right? And not just the major ones, a lot of the other ones too. Right. So now, when you have that much power, you got to ask, why isn't this fixed yet? 
Why isn't it solved, you know? And that's our job really fundamentally is to answer the question, why isn't it solved yet and what do we need to learn? And I loved what you said about Churchill's approach to this whole thing about, you know, you succeed and then learn. Right? right? And then you fail and learn more. Exactly. So we've got to keep learning more, and we've got to keep moving down this path. So uh, I, let me just pull something out right there, because why isn't it—that's a big, huge question. And I, so I don't think that that question has been asked often, if at all. And the reason for that is we're scared of those kind of questions. I mean, and, but I think that people who have been on this journey with us for a while can even become fatigued because, you know, um, you know, I'll, I'll quote the great philosopher that uh, even said, you know, being Jesus, who said the poor you always have with you. Now, I draw a distinction between uh, the poor and being hungry. I think, and that's maybe a topic for another show at some point, but <laughs> but you, you, you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. We can't be scared of the question, and I think we have been scared of the question. And in fact, it's the only way to solve it is to be unafraid of the question. And so I was at a, a class at Wayne State University um, teaching their, their food justice people, you know, and right. talking about this whole issue. And my point to them was, we started out asking a good question. This is food banking in general. This is when everything got started about 40 40 years ago. ago. That's exactly right. And the question was, how do we keep food from going to waste? That was a great question. There were barges full of food coming directly from food manufacturers getting put in landfills and dumped in the ocean. And people knew this was happening. It was like, how can we stop this from happening? And the second question was, well, if we're going to stop it, we have to have someplace to to, to distribute it. So who's distributing food? And putting those two questions together, we created food banking. We said, let's talk to the manufacturers and get the food. Let's talk to the churches who are distributing the food. Put those two things together, and we created an amazing logistics hub for communities all over the country. Remember, 200 food banks nationwide serve every county in the United States. That is that is staggering when you think about that. And it got us halfway to solving the problem. What problem? Not the problem of food going to waste. There's still opportunity there, especially right. post-consumer waste, which is really hard to figure out. But nonetheless, the question that we need to ask isn't just how do we keep food from going to waste. It's how do we keep hunger from happening in our community? It's a different question. It changes our measure from pounds to household impact. What's actually happening with that food in households, and how do we make sure we get people the food they need when they need it so that they're no longer food insecure? So by changing the question, you also change the opportunity. And by changing the opportunity, you can start to draw more people into the conversation who have a vested interest in solving the problem. And that's your succeed, learn, fail, learn, and keep learning model that can actually end a problem like food insecurity. So, Jerry, I have to ask you then, because you've been doing this work for several decades, and so you have institutional knowledge that which one of the reasons it makes you a thought leader in this industry. I'm fairly new to this. And so I don't have that institutional knowledge and thereby perspective. When do you think the question changed from waste to solving hunger? Yeah, when it got harder and harder to get more food. 
So you've got leaders who want to succeed. And this is all over the this issue of food insecurity, right? You have leaders in the pantries. You have Salvation Army in the Capuchin Soup Kitchen. You have Gleaners and the, the Food Bank of Eastern Michigan and Feeding America West Michigan. You have leadership that, that wants to succeed. Yeah. So when you start running against the wall of failure is when you start to ask different questions, right? Because you say, gosh, what more food can we get? And is it food people want? And and how hard is it? And what does it cost? And all those questions start to, to just happen organically when you start to succeed at less of a rate or, or God forbid, not at all, right? Right, yeah. So I think that's when the question started. Maybe 10 years ago in earnest, the food okay. banking network, and this this involves Feeding America. It's always involved the Food Bank Council of Michigan. We start to ask the question, all right, well, we've gotten this far. It's getting harder. It's getting more challenging. Even to ask people to participate, their impact starts to go down when your success starts to go down. And so even when you're competing for dollars, it gets harder. Right. So I think 10 years ago or so, um, right in that, maybe 15, but 10 for sure, food banks started to say, okay, what's next? We've gotten this far. We've learned how to do this. We do it really well. You know, most food banks have efficiency standard that's amazing. 94, 95, or 96 cents of every dollar going to the mission. Right. You know, a dollar providing three, four, five, six meals. I mean, it's amazing how efficiently this worked. Right. But still, it wasn't finishing the job. So you start asking the questions, do we need programming? Do we need different partners? Do we need uh, to be invested in this mission a little bit differently? You start seeing nutrition education programs and things like gardening and things like the food club in West Michigan. Um, you start to see things like what we're trying to do with the with the food uh, from the frozen food manufacturers. Right, the IQF pilot project. Exactly, and all these things start to bubble up probably more than anything as a result of lack of success, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's been well, pretty exciting to be part of what's next. Yeah, so that would be my question to you as a, an industry leader. So the first question is, how do we prevent food from going to waste? Ten or so years ago, the question became more about how do we prevent hunger in our communities? So what's the third question? I think the third and most important question is, who wins when this is fixed? You know, we know the hungry families win. We know the kids win. We know the seniors win. The people that we're serving, we know they win. And we've always known that they win. And that's the fundamental charitable reason for doing this. But there's other winners. Businesses win when their employees stay longer and are better concentrating and treat each other nicer because they're not coming to work hungry, right? Healthcare wins when when they give a prescription that says take with food and the person actually has food, right? Mm -hmm. Healthcare wins when that happens, and so right. you you the the question deepens on not just who wins but how much and when, and how do you draw the line between those wins and that bottom line? And I think that is exactly the question we have to ask ourselves now. Besides food manufacturers who had a product that might have gone to waste. We have people that win beyond waste, right? Mm -hmm. That their actually bottom line will benefit when we solve this problem. And so the question is who wins? And the immediately following question is how much do they win? And how do we create programs so that they win while our hungry neighbors win? So uh, who wins when we win? That's exactly right. Five W's. 
who wins when we win. Yeah. Yep. When food security uh, is is gone and hunger comes off the table, who are the people who are going to be who's going to benefit the most? Whether they be corporations or companies or whether they be individuals and families or communities or educational system, which is one that we talked about before on the show, but I think it has to, you can't, there's no expectation for a child to learn if they're hungry. And I know we have free and reduced lunch and we have breakfast and all that, but that's not the only time a child needs to eat and what they need to eat. And I think we can tease up one more idea that I think is critical, and that is how much help does a person need before they take the rest of their success without more help? Right. And if you can stabilize a household, and, and many households with just a little help will launch themselves into success, we need to understand how much help is that and for what kind of households. Well, that's why we're doing some of the studies and collecting some of the data. Jerry, thanks for your insights so much. Appreciate your thought leadership as always. So, folks, here's some food for thought for you as a result of our show today. A professional, educated, eloquent, and accomplished person walks into our studio and record some segment for our show, Food for Thought, that illuminate, educate, and inspire us about the politics, policies, and particulars of decisions that affect our work, our people, and mostly our communities. Yet she grew up hungry, food insecure in some instances in her life. Not always, but sometimes. Her parents worked, and yet there was a struggle. This is too often a reality today for too many. There were people, food banks, pantries, who stood in the gap for her and her family and offered them a hand up with food that they all wanted and needed. So here's what I realize. You can find food insecurity anywhere. Let's make this example of overcoming a reality for all who desire as we reach out, give, and help those in need. I'm Dr. Phil Knight for Jerry Brisson. Thanks for listening to Food for Thought on WJR. Food for Thought has been presented by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.